Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 15, and this week I spoke to Kylie Norton, who is an embroidery artist from New Zealand. Kylie makes incredible, intricate, large-scale embroidery pieces with wool yarns that she cuts up and re-ravels together so that she can get the colors that she wants. Many of her pieces take her over four months to create. She explores intersectional feminism as well as indigenous cultures in her work and is particularly interested in the treatment of women surrounding their menstrual cycles. I've loved every conversation I've had on the Close Knit podcast, but I have to say that this one felt particularly important, and I appreciated Kylie's willingness to share about her work and how it has been impacted by her upbringing and her academic pursuits. If you know me, you'll know that I talk a lot about menstruation, and I found it so refreshing to speak to Kylie about this topic within the fiber arts. The show notes for this episode are available at closeknit.com.au slash podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Listen on for a whole chat. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Kylie Norton, who's an embroidery artist. Hey, Kylie. Hi. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for being here. No worries. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, so Kylie is originally from New Zealand, but now lives in Melbourne. Is that right? Yes. What part of New Zealand are you from? I'm from Dunedin, which is at the very bottom of the South Island, ah, down okay. where it's really cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. And you've been living in Melbourne since 2013, is that right? 2010, actually. So I've been oh, here okay. six years now. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Cool. So I'm just going to jump straight into it. Um, Kylie, what's your fiber of choice and what medium do you gravitate towards the most? So I use mainly DMC wool yarn for tapestry and mm. I use it on a embroidery canvas. I use really large scale ones though, choosing not to give myself a pattern to work to and kind of just try to freehand as I do it. Mm. And I, yeah, it's yarn mainly that I use. I've been using DMC and started to use Sullivan's as well just to try and open up my color palette. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's been really, really fun. Very experimental, really. Yeah. So how do you go about, like, sourcing your, like, you've got a color palette in mind. How do you go about sourcing your yarn? I start off with the basic kind of colors first, and then I actually cut up the yarn and unravel it and re-ravel different colors together. Whoa. So that I can try and make new ones and try and get smoother color blending. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I'm just starting to research maybe dyeing my own yarns as well to really yeah. open up my color palette. Yeah. Hopefully. Wow. <laughs> See how that goes. So how did you kind of, like, when did you start deciding to re-ravel them and how did you kind of figure out how to, how to do that successfully? <laughs> It was a little trick I'd learned when I was really young. My mom used to always get me cross-stitch kits, and yeah. one of the little things in that would be to unravel the strands of cotton and re-ravel so you could do color blending. So it's kind of something yeah. I've always known how to do, and then I've just taken it to another level, and I've used different amounts of different strands to get like the different shade of color blending. And if I want to really try something strange and like try fade a blue into a red automatically... Then I change up the different numbers I use in the different colors and ravel up all kinds of weird and wonderful concoctions. Wow. So that's because um, I was looking at some of your work and a lot of the time there's like maybe there's like skin tones that you're trying to create. Is that kind of how you're doing that? 
Yeah, yeah. So in like one little section of like my self-portrait, that's probably about between 10 to 20 different colors, like different shades of orange that I've just unraveled and re-raveled together wow. to try and get all the, the different skin tones in there. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Very labor intensive, but it's yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine that's a labor of love. <laughs> yeah. So you, um, you're primarily focused on embroidery as an art form. Are there other um, fiber arts that you're interested in? I tried knitting when I was younger. My mom taught me. And sewing. Yeah. I just wasn't very good at it. She was, she's amazing at it. I remember as a kid, she would buy old jumpers from op shops and unravel them with us kids out with our hands up and her wrapping the wool around our hands and then she'd wash it and re-knit it into something else wonderful. Yeah. It was like so fascinating to watch her repurpose all these materials all the time. Yeah. So she, at the moment, she's doing using old doilies and making them into clothing. Oh, cool. And that's something I'd really like to maybe try and look into is like repurposing old older bits of fabric and stitching onto them to see what kind of effects I can get. Mm -hmm. So would you say that kind of your mom introduced you to embroidery as an art and the fiber arts when you were a kid? Yeah, she, oh, she probably more introduced it to me as a craft, as mm -hmm. a hobby to do on the side. Yeah. And then she, but then she also always pushed me to, to be an artist. She always saw me as a really good drawer when I was younger but I didn't really see it in myself. Mm. So after school, I pursued more the art history route and did a degree in art history. Okay. And it's only recently in the last less than a year, actually, that I've kind of realized I can use the skill I learned as a child as a form of artistic expression. Yeah. It's been a really interesting journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's interesting because I, um, I kind of talk a lot about this on different podcast episodes, how, I use the term fiber art like really loosely because I think there's this real or I have felt a real kind of hesitation around like referring to myself as an artist and I think maybe sometimes we distinguish between artist with a capital A and just like artist with a lowercase a you know yeah. as in like oh I don't know if I can am I really that like can I call myself that but I guess part of saying that it's a fiber arts podcast for me is about like sort of reclaiming the term and being like, you know, if you work with fiber in some way or another, whether you think of it as like visual art or not, it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it took me a very long time to feel confident in saying, oh, I'm, I'm an artist. Mm. And it took me a lot of research and like harking back to my university studies, I was looking at Judy Chicago and the dinner party where she, that's what she was trying to do was claim these crafts that mm. connate women's work and was kind of devalued and making it a higher art form yeah so yeah I'm I'm loving that transition that's kind of happening right now where women are coming into it and reclaiming this and being like no you know what we've put the labor and the work into this this is our art yeah absolutely so you learned embroidery and all of that as a kid as a hobby um when did you kind of start experimenting with it on a larger scale that within the last year, it, it's kind of strange how it happened. I had a space on my bedroom wall and I knew in my head what I wanted it to be. I was like, oh, I want it to be like a embroidery piece, a large long stitch style one. And I was looking on Etsy online everywhere to see if I could find something like this and couldn't. And then I kind of just decided one day, I'm, I'm just going to try to do it. I'm going to see what happens if I make this piece. And that one 
was my combi van one that I did that I turned into slightly an abstract image as well. And I had such an amazing response with it. And from one friend in particular who I've always kind of held up as having really, really good and refined taste. And when he was like, I want to buy this. I, I want this so bad. So I ended up just sending it to him as a gift. Like, oh, it was just so strange that someone else would like it that much. Mm. And it kind of really motivated me to be like, maybe, maybe I can do something with this. Mm. So I've yeah. been doing the large ones ever since. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I like, I like to hear how people, like, especially when people are doing things that are quite different, like it's a traditional art form, embroidery, but to see it done on such a different scale and with so many different colors and um, to have like humans built into it and moons and the sort of imagery that you use, I think it's really, it's really kind of a modern take on it and quite a different take. So I always find it interesting to find out how people took it from like, you know, your mother's cross-stitch kit to that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you studied an art history master's. Did you do um, art and stuff in school prior to that? Yeah, I did painting and photography. I've always kind of dabbled a little bit in painting and drawing ever since I was a kid, but never saw myself as very good at it or a particularly strong drawer so Mm. never never thought to pursue it in any kind of way yeah and then what motivated you to go back to do your master's in art history I I really loved it I did my honors first in art history and I had so much fun doing it like just learning and but after graduation I felt so guilty for so many years because I wasn't using it Mm. because I didn't know how to use it like what was I supposed to do with all this knowledge and now discovering this like skill that I have, I've been able to kind of tap back into my research and artists that I studied and reinterpret that. And that's been so much fun to finally feel like, wow, all this knowledge that I have, I can actually use now for something that I'm making. Yeah, It's such a satisfying feeling. Yeah. How does that kind of look? Because I guess my approach to craft and fiber art is like, I think comes from such a different place because I have like no historical background. Like how can you tell me how you would approach a piece of work and maybe how you end up drawing on some of your art history knowledge? So what I've been working on at the moment is I'm planning a body of work, which is looking at indigenous cultures from all over the world and their themes and rituals around women and the magic of women and in particular menstruation cycles. Mm. So I've got a couple of pieces. The Blood Moon one is going to be the overarching piece for all of that, looking at the the phases that everyone goes through and the linking up to the moon and the magic and how every culture refers to women and the moon and this linking between the two, and it's incredibly magical. Yeah, and it's, I'm using a lot of feminist theory in it as well, which has been – I wrote my dissertation on fetishism and fashion photography – it's been really good to mm. kind of look back on all of that and look at things through this particular perspective, like especially when using yeah. craft that has been devalued for so long and then using that to look at aspect, aspects of women's history that has been suppressed. Like we don't talk mm. about menstruation, that's gross. So to try and like to use a woman's craft to explore this in a way that's not gross, it's actually incredibly magical, like it's creation it's something we should be celebrating and not hiding. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's been an interesting thing thinking, I've been thinking a lot about menstruation and women's 
cycles and the moon. And I feel like a lot of that, like you say, it's sort of, it's coming up a lot more for people and people are starting to make this link that's like always been there, but that we never talked about or we were never taught about in school. Like you get so little information on that when you're going through your, your daily life, even, you know, it's so, it's just so hush hush. It's so like, Oh, you couldn't possibly talk about that in a public space. Like that would, I don't know, that would frighten a man or some, some ridiculous notion um, to sort of come at it as you are with, a big body of work and looking at the different cultures around it. I think that that's going to be a really special, really special sort of um, manifestation of that research. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what I'm hoping it's going to be. It's going to be like a visual thesis of this topic that I've become weirdly very passionate about within the last year. And it's been so good to see other people as well. Mm -hmm. Every now and then I get the odd reaction of that's really gross. Why would you want to do that? But then I get the other, like, it's been overwhelmingly positive and other people who are also doing similar things. It's just been so good to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I had a question and now I forgot. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> um, sorry, bear with me for two seconds. <laughs> oh, where is, um, where is your exhibit going to be on and when is that going to happen? Or do you have that all set up? I'm I'm hoping it would be the end of this year, depending on how fast I can stitch. Yeah. So right yeah. now I have three works. I have one finished, one half finished, and one started. Mm. And I'm hoping to have six to eight in total. Yeah, wow. So realistically, it'll probably be next year. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure where yet. I've been, I've had a few suggestions of where I'd do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure it's. It's been interesting trying to just like gauge how people would react to that if I was to have a show. Mm. It's been, yeah, really, really good. There are a lot of people who want to get involved, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's really cool, but I, I need time to get it finished. These are incredibly large, intricate. They take me so long. One piece takes me four to five months to make. Yeah, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge undertaking. And in that, I guess, do you ever because it's such a long process, do, do you ever find that halfway through you're kind of like, eh. <laughs> Yeah, it's really hard to keep motivated sometimes, especially if I get a new idea. Mm. I'll be halfway through one project and then I'll suddenly have be like, oh, I've got this really good idea for another one and I'll start it yeah. and then just kind of leave the other one on the wayside for a little bit. Yeah. Which is something I'm still working on, so I don't do that. Yeah. I've got about four half-started projects right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's good to be getting so many good new ideas all the time. I'm like, yes, I'm not running out of steam just yet, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I need to learn to schedule my time a little bit better. Mm. I think that's such a common theme. The like the whips sort of curse, like a work in progress pile, where you always yeah. have like <laughs> at least four things that are kind of fifty percent done, but then you're like, yeah. oh, this new thing. I just want to do this new thing. Yeah, I just want to get this out now before I forget it. I yeah. want to at least start it before I forget. Yeah. So does that, um, how does that process look for you? Like, do you literally need to start stitching or can, can you sketch it? What sort of, what does that look like? Normally stitching, mm. I start, I just jump straight into stitching. Mm. I'll measure up a piece roughly and I'll have, it's all in my head. I'll be like, okay, I think it's 
going to be about this size. If it's a street art piece, which I've recently been experimenting with, mm. I'll go out and quickly measure the space I want to put it in and then come home and start stitch straight away. I can just get it out as fast as I can. Yeah. It's a very unusual process, but it seems to be working so far. Yeah. So how do you... Um... What does the street art that you do sort of look like? How do you, where, what sort of objects or places are you putting them? I've only done a couple so far. My first one was I did a toad and I put him inside a drain pipe in one of the laneways in the city of Melbourne. Oh, wow, yeah. Because there's an indigenous story in Australia of Tiddalik the frog who drank all the water and the other animals had to make him laugh so he would spill up all the water into the world again. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'll put, I'll put a frog in the pipe and that's kind of fitting. Mm. And then, then the next one I did in the same space, in the same area, was there was a vent at the bottom of the pavement. And I put in a huge, colorful snake with abstract, like, kind of graffiti-style stitching in behind him. And I just yeah. stitched straight onto gutter mesh and then used cable yeah. ties to install it in there. Yeah. It's been cool. Last time I went to check on it, someone has spray painted a huge jungle scene around it. Oh, cool. Like, oh, wow. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah, Yeah, that's exciting to sort of see it becoming part of the landscape. Yeah. It's been really, really fun, actually. And I've had really good response from doing that sort of stuff. So hopefully I'll try and get a bit more out there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Can you tell me more about your sort of it seems like indigenous culture comes up a lot in your in the themes of what you're interested in in sort of looking at can you tell me more like where that interest kind of came from and how you started to learn about the different cultures that you have yeah I guess growing up in New Zealand we are taught from a very young age about the Maori people there and it's very very much a part of our everyday lives and when I made Mm. the move to Australia it was quite jarring how little exposure there was of the indigenous cultures Mm -hmm. here it was yeah yeah, it took me a while to kind of get my head around where these people were I I don't see them I don't understand and then when I moved to Toronto again it got to the point there where I was like do is there even an indigenous culture here like there's zero evidence and then I'd been told the stories of what had happened I was like this is actually unbelievable I can't believe this is still happening in the world and then it kind of ties up as well with my feminist background in that our contemporary culture has suppressed so much about us, whereas the indigenous cultures have celebrated that. So Mm. I think it's really important to look back past the history we know now into the one further back. I feel like that Mm. one's so much more honest and accepting of everyone. I don't know where it came from that we had to hide so many things about ourselves within our own contemporary culture. Yeah. It's it's kind of yeah. scary and I don't understand it. So I've decided just kind of to skip that and just go another step back and look at these indigenous yeah. cultures who find these things about women so magical and powerful. It's such yeah. a much more beautiful concept to me than, no, your feminine hygiene is gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, thank you for sharing that because I think it's really interesting hearing from someone who who comes from a, New Zealand background coming to Australia and then seeing somewhere in North America and how the indigenous cultures have been treated in the different places and I think it's it's probably different from the experience that most people have of just either living in their one place and sort of only knowing that versus like you being able to see and differentiate between the two and kind of go like huh why do I not see any 
people of indigenous background or any indigenous culture being celebrated here because that I think for me coming from America to Australia it was striking but not surprising like there were it was amazing to me how many similarities existed between the way that Americans had treated indigenous cultures and the lack of knowledge that is spread about indigenous cultures in America and just how similar that was to Australia like it it was it was upsetting and sad but I think it's super interesting to hear from you who's come from a place where the indigenous culture is more celebrated and I assume maybe part part of your kind of everyday and like um is it part of the school curriculum at yeah all? it was yeah. part of our curriculum yeah. Yeah, it was. Obviously, we've mm. still got a long way to go in terms of, like, Indigenous transparencies and how they're seen in society in New Zealand. There's still a lot of yeah. work that needs to be done there. But there is definitely a lot more exposure compared to other countries I've been to, like Australia and North America. In North America, I found it strange how they'd kind of commercialised the indigenous culture that like with the headdresses and when we were driving along in the little souvenir shops it was it was really strange I was like I feel like this is they've like made a cartoon mm. out of this culture and I'm assuming not every culture within America fits within that one model that they're advertising yeah yeah I think it's a really big topic of discussion especially within the last few years of not trivializing these people's cultures and the thousands and thousands of years that have, you know, that gifts have been established and ritual and ceremony and things that, that like maybe a white Westerner or white American doesn't understand and can't understand. And, and that's okay. And we, it, it doesn't mean we should try to somehow um, use it to our advantage, like, you know, dressing up as a native American for Halloween or something like it someone's culture is not a costume yeah you know? yeah there's a, a much better way to respect this and recognize it rather than just yeah. trying to reappropriate in a way that's easy for us to yeah yeah yes misappropriation <laughs> thank you <laughs> that was like the word that I was like I was on the tip of the tongue there but I couldn't quite get it um I think that's cool too how you've how you've been able to link your interest in feminism and exploring sort of feminine work and feminine hygiene um, from that lens as well. Like that's, that's super interesting and not something that I had directly linked, but I think that's pretty cool. You, you've made that link. Yeah. Something I'm still working on. There's going to, I'm got a lot of time to research and I'm going to take my time on it and yeah, make sure I do yeah. this right. And I don't upset anyone or reappropriate things I'm not supposed to. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Taking yeah, my time I, I with can it. Imagine. The intersectionality of all the things that you're looking at would be fairly complex yeah. to make sure that you weren't <laughs> ruffling any feathers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, thanks for walking me through that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, if every now and then I get worried, I'm probably making it a bit too complicated. But yeah. then I don't care. I want to do it. Yeah. yeah, no, I think if it's, yeah, if it's something that's calling to you, it's, yeah, yeah. it's always worth doing. Even if I'm doing it for the rest of my life, I'll get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to switch gears a little bit, can you tell me what your favorite part about sort of the fiber arts world is and something that maybe you're excited about right now? Yeah. the Like I said, I'm still really new into this. It's been less than a year that I've been doing this kind of fiber arts thing. And just the yeah. community and the collaboration has been incredible. 
from the get-go, I couldn't, I had people from Instagram emailing me saying, wow, what you're doing is really good. How do you mount it while you're working? And how, what does the back look like? I was like, whoa, what? And then I started talking to other people online and, and I work in a cafe and talking to customers about it. And they're like, oh yeah, no, I knit as well or I crochet. And everyone's so willing to share little tips and tricks. Like there's no mm. secrecy. There's nothing like, no, this is my practice. You can't learn how to do it. It's, no, yeah. no, I really want to show you how to do this. It's, yeah, yeah the community and the, the collaboration between people has been so incredible. Yeah. I think that's been a really common theme when I've asked this question on the podcast, which to me is like, it's just such fuel for wanting to continue doing this yeah. and like doing the <laughs> podcast and stuff. So I'm like, yes, like this is, if this is a community, like, a community where the overarching theme is that everyone feels like it's inclusive and it's like people are open to sharing. Like that is a community that I definitely want to be part of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there something in particular about the fiber arts world beyond the community and the things that you've shared that you're excited about right in this moment? Like maybe a project you've started or something you've just seen Um, I just recently saw another artist on Instagram who was stitching directly onto images of like high fashion models. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what, what is, I didn't, at first I was like, I don't quite understand what, what is this? And, and it was done in such a hurried fashion that the connections between the two different places hadn't been cut. They've just been left there. Mm. So there was this, the more I looked at it, the more I was like, there was this real hurried expressive element to it. And it was the fact that someone, because that's what I've been trying to do, is try and do it in my stitching in a way that it's expressive and freehand so it doesn't seem like it's been planned and formulated. Mm. And to see someone else do that in an even more expressive way was just so exciting. I was like, oh my God, yes. Yes, that's it. We we can use this as like an, like a legitimate artistic expression. Mm. It was just so good to see and so exciting. Yeah, cool. Did you, um, do you remember who that was or what, where their work is? Yeah, it was, oh, hold on. I think I wrote down her name. <laughs> Susanna Scott. Oh no, sorry, not that one. No, I've forgotten off the top of my head. Sorry. No, that's okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll find it after the show and we can add it to the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just one of those things you just see on your explore feed every now and then. It's like, whoa. Oh yeah. That? that- always surprises me like I I sometimes feel like Instagram you don't know me at all and then there'll be someone who pops up and I'm like whoa this person just changed my life yeah oh Louise Jones there we go oh yeah yeah Louise Jones she uses illustration draws her own illustrations as well and stitches onto paper okay yeah yeah it's really really interesting I haven't seen anyone use embroidery like that before so it was really cool to see that yeah awesome oh that's cool I feel like the intersection of different art mediums is always a really cool place to be when people are using ceramics with fiber or you know like leather with ceramics and things like that that suddenly oh I didn't I didn't think of that (laughs) yeah how did you think of that yeah yeah that's a good idea (laughs) yeah awesome so I know we talked about how sometimes you'll have like lots of things started at once and then you'll put one aside what how do you kind of find motivation to pick that thing back up 
and continue working on it so that you were, let's say you were like creating for this, um, for the, the upcoming exhibit that you're going to do, like how, yeah, how do you kind of find the motivation to keep going? What I do is I take photos of them and then print them off on paper and I carry those images around with me everywhere. So if I'm on my break at work, I'll sit there and stare at it with a pencil. And because sometimes I just get a little bit stale on something. If I've been working on something for three months, I get a little bit bored and I'm like, oh, I'm sick of looking at this right now. But then I find once it's on that piece of paper in front of me and I'm looking at it a completely different way, I can suddenly see new ways to fit like, pieces that I thought were finished I've gone back to after doing this and added stuff to it and just like hurriedly draw on with the pencil the things that I can change and do and I I think yeah sometimes I take my work home with me or take it to work with me and just looking at it in a different environment suddenly gives me a refreshed approach to it which I find that it's been a really useful little tool for motivation for myself is just to kind of move it around or change just the way I'm looking at it Mm -hmm. and it gives me just a whole fresh new set of ideas to work towards on it yeah yeah and do you feel like I, I guess motivation is like a huge is a topic I love talking to people about because a lot of the times when I speak to people on the podcast they're like transitioning from it becoming a hobby to a business air quotes on both of those or like a practice that they just did in their own time in their own space to something that they're now sharing or like are trying to do for um for like an art gallery or something where they're yeah where their work is going to be on display have you found that your motivation has changed for the way that you approach work that you were just kind of working on alone pre I don't know Instagram sharing days or something (laughs) you know what I mean yeah, it's oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's really really hard. It's good just talking to people really really helps and showing people. I've had sometimes I explain to people what it is I do and they're just like I can't imagine it. So then I physically show them and getting that feedback always is such a huge motivation when they're just like I've never seen anything like this before. I've never heard of anything like this before and mm. you're good at it. You, you should you should do this. I yeah. believe you can do something with this. Yeah. Having, like, yeah, talking to people has really, really helped with that. Like, before, so she, like, Instagram's obviously good for that. You get this weird, like, little kind of shallow boost every now and then when you get a certain <laughs> amount of likes. Like, yeah. Oh, yes, that one's really popular. That's really good. <laughs> but getting an actual reaction from someone standing in front of your piece is just so unbelievable. Mm. just when I unravel a piece and show it to them and they're just like oh my god how 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 did you do that Mm -hmm. it's so it's so good such a good ego boost and it really helps yeah 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 I think that that's a nice part about um the kind of sharing world that we're in of like maybe a little bit of oversharing from time to time but you kind of getting that ability to share with someone even on the internet or in person or like like I can see your piece behind you now and even yeah. seeing it behind you um, as opposed to just on like a little Instagram screen yeah. like even that in itself is like oh that's so cool I can like see how big it is compared to her head and like what a large scale piece that is yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of special yeah, it's really hard, especially on Instagram to convey scale on that mm. it's actually incredibly difficult and even when I post photos that include me in it to give you a sense of idea, it's still people have seen that and then they'll come and see it in my room and they're like, whoa, 
like I knew it was big but I really didn't realize it until yeah. they see it in, in the flesh yeah that's always it's I find that very entertaining yeah it's like I, I told you it's big yeah like, I wasn't lying it took me four months like, yeah it's huge <laughs> there's a lot of yarn in that yeah oh well I feel like you're gonna definitely need to keep us posted on when your exhibit actually happens so that we can yeah. make sure we can go see that in person I'll be booking some flights to Melbourne yeah. <laughs> hopefully I get it together yeah absolutely I'm, I have faith <laughs> <You Yeah>. <laughs> um what, do, what would you say is sort of your biggest bit of advice for someone who's Maybe they've just gotten like a cross stitch kit from their mom or something. Like yeah. <laughs> they're just discovering fiber arts. What would you say to them? I'd say don't don't ever doubt your own skill or your own ability, and don't don't let anyone belittle. When I first started out, the amount of people who just said, "Oh, that's a cute hobby," I'm like, no, no, this was a serious art form for me. It's not a hobby. Yeah. Don't just don't listen to them. Yeah. If it's a serious art form for you, then let it be. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. And don't the amount of times I've stopped myself from doing something because I didn't think I'd be good enough at it. Like I wish someone had said that to me. Just like just try it. Mm. Just see what happens. Just try it. I feel like I'd be ten years ahead of myself if someone had told me that. Yeah, yeah. Just, Just give, it, give a it a go. See what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The worst is it doesn't work out. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I know it's funny because I think there's kind of two sides to the like. You can definitely be a serious fiber artist, but sometimes I have to remind myself that like at the end of the day, I'm just knitting or I'm just doing blah blah blah. Like my life isn't going to end. I'm not, no one's going to die yeah. over this. <laughs> like, no, it's like, it's okay. If someone doesn't like it, it's yeah. okay. You like it. Yeah. That's what matters. You Absolutely. were happy making it as well. Mm. You had a good time making that then. Mm. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. What is, this is a little slightly backtracking, but what is it like making these big scale pieces? How do you like hang them up and work on them? <laughs> <laughs> at first I was just like bum tacking them to the wall and they just kind of kept falling down yeah so now I I just use dowel that I get from my local hardware and I stitch them onto the dowel and mm. hang it yeah and then I stand in front of it and just hold up the bottom and kind of stitch in and out oh my gosh yeah so the whole thing is done with me it's kind of like a painting yeah just a lot slower yeah is it painful <laughs> Sometimes I get very physically tired sometimes yeah. Yeah. and a little bit blurry vision from all the little squares. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's so much fun. Yeah. And when I then I take a step back from it and look at what I've done, it's just it nothing beats that feeling. Just mm. a pure euphoric rush and I'm like, I made that. Mm. Pretty proud of myself. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I also really love asking people about who they know about that we should be following in the fiber arts world, because like we were talking about, I think the biggest part of this for a lot of people is the community. And I always, I'm always amazed at the number of folks that I don't even know exist yet. So I'm always excited to hear that. So could you tell me some of the people you're following? Yeah. One of my favorites is Danielle Clow. I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. She's also an embroidery artist, but she her use of color is so inspiring. Even I thought I was good at color, and then I look at hers and I'm just like, oh, that's incredible. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And she stitches onto really unusual objects. So she lately she's been doing a series on tennis rackets. Huh. 
which is just it's they look so good they look amazing and just to have the foresight to imagine a stitched image on an object like that I find so fascinating Mm. and she's just she's so good so good like I got such a good little fangirl moment when she started following me on Instagram (laughs) oh my god that's I really like yeah she likes me too oh Girl crush. <laughs> I love that. I've had that happen a couple of times lately where I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she's following me back. I'm obsessed with her. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Are there any yes. others? Yeah. Um, I've only just started looking into the Australian Tapestry Workshop, which happens to be here in Melbourne. Yeah. And wow, it's just it's really the best of its kind in the world. Mm. I didn't even know. And it's just here in South Melbourne. And they encourage massive group collaborative projects, mm. especially with weaving. Mm. And the finished products are just something like on scale as the Bayou Tapestry. They're incredible so and so cool. beautiful. And they've got like 10 people working on them at a time. Mm. And they're an amazing resource. You can just go in there and talk to anyone at any time, to any of the artists and residents. They're just so So willing to talk to you and they're so nice yeah oh that's so I remember finding there about out about their residency program like earlier in the year and I was like oh (laughs) someday I really want to do that (laughs) yeah when I feel I'm good enough (laughs) yeah I'm gonna try out for you giant giants you know hanks and spools and things yeah. and thread and it's amazing just the resources they have there yeah. it's just and the information it's so good mm. but them as well as um craft victoria okay them i approached them about a month ago and it turned out one of the ladies who worked in their shop there was one of my regular customers at the cafe oh so that was a really fun cute little moment of just like oh my god you're a creator I'm a creator too and she gave me a list of all these resources as well as just gave me a book on um indigenous stories specific to um the Victorian region as well and just yeah she just turned out to be such an incredible resource and again that willingness to share was just so amazing I'd never encountered it before I started in this whole fiber arts world Mm. everyone straight away is like okay you need to talk to this person and read this here's an email address and here's my number call me yeah just so good yeah it's so good were those the the folks you're following but did you have any others yeah I think that as well as um the one I mentioned earlier yeah so, oh, I also there's also Susanna Scott, someone who I've just started looking at, mm. and she folds fabrics to look like like vaginas and vulvic imagery, mm. really similar to kind of Georgia O'Keeffe's flowers. Mm. Cool. Yeah, and just the use of the fabrics—they're so beautiful, so soft, and they just—they're so pretty. Yeah, something very, very pretty and aesthetically pleasing about it even though I know it's supposed to be a vagina yeah (laughs) it's really nice to see yeah like you get trained as a child like oh it's gross don't look at that but then there are these artists using materials to make it look so beautiful Mm. yeah cool well awesome I'll definitely have to check those out and then I'll have links to all them in the show notes so that everybody can connect (laughs) connect to our little fiber world some more so that'll be good awesome was there anything else that you wanted to mention? Oh, uh, no. I think I've talked your ear off. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. Thanks so much for being here. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, cheers.
You've just listened to episode 15 of the Close Knit Podcast. If you've already reviewed the podcast on iTunes, thank you. Um, Reading those reviews always makes my day. If you haven't, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes because, well, it makes my day and um, it also helps us reach a lot more people in the fiber arts community. So if you have a moment, that would be really fantastic. Otherwise, keep on doing what you're doing and see you next week.